Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Placer County Planning Commission for this November 13th day. Uh, we're going to start out with the flag salute. And Ken, can you lead us in that? Sure. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Kathy, uh, do you want to do a roll call, please? Mr. Gray? Mr. Nader? Here. Mr. Moss? Here. Mr. Johnson? Here. Mr. Ricucci? Here. Mr. Denio? Here. Mr. Sevison? Here. Is that seven? Yeah, Holy Toledo, we haven't had a full house in a while. Um, this is an opportunity right now for anyone that would care to address the Planning Commission on items. Oh, I apologize. No, you, you have precedence. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I'm E.J. Avaldi with the Planning Services Division. Uh, I'll be real quick. Uh, at the November 4th uh, Board of Supervisors meeting, uh, they considered the Sheridan Community Plan uh, update finally. Uh, they did take action to approve the plan. Uh, there, there was one change, and that uh, was related to the, uh, I believe it was a 33-acre uh, parcel that was being changed from industrial uh, to a farm zoning. That uh, They recommended that that be changed to a farm 10-acre minimum zoning, which that would actually allow them to split, I, I believe, into three parcels. So uh, what we're going to be doing, we're going, going to go back to the board on November 18th, and uh, that will be the you know, final consideration of that plan update. For planning commission, uh, as you all know, we scheduled a special planning commission meeting for next week on the 20th. Uh, on that agenda, we're going to be asking you to consider the Placer Vineyards specific plan amendment and also the Riolo Vineyards specific plan amendment. Uh, you should be getting packets. Uh, they're getting sent out today, so you have those to uh, review uh, over the next week. EJ, time. Time of meeting? Uh, it will be 10 o'clock. Uh, first item starting at 10.05. Then on December uh, 11th, uh, that will be the next meeting after that. Uh, we do have a couple items. Uh, we have a residential care facility that is an appeal from uh, the zoning administrator. And then there's also uh, Cambridge Estates, uh, which is requesting a gated entry. And so we have those two items for December. That's all I have. Any questions? Any questions? Seeing none, thank you. Thank you. Kathy, any chance I could take my packet with me when I go today? Can I get my packet to take with me today? Not quite ready? Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's all right. I just thought maybe by chance. <laughs> Oh, no, don't bother. I'll be going home before anyways out for TRPA so I can look at it then. Okay. We now have a public comment. Is there anyone that would care to address the commission on items not on the agenda today? Seeing no one come forward, then we'll move on to our first item, which is a workshop.
and proposed update to the county winery ordinance and discussion of updates to temporary uses and events section of the zoning ordinance. And I believe Mr. Rosasco is going to lead the charge on this. Yes, thank you, uh, Commissioner Sevenson. As you know, my name is George Rosasco. I'm a supervising planner with Placer County Planning. And this is our fourth workshop on uh, the winery zoning text amendment, or as it's referred to as the update. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, on the backside of a, of a cold. Um, <clears throat> with your staff report, there's an attached proposed ordinance. Um, as you recall from the last workshop, um, you asked us to go out to the MAX and solicit comments um, from the public in the MAX. And not surprisingly, the, uh, the issues that came up over and over are the exact same issues that came up during the event center ordinance, specifically with regard to agricultural event centers. People are con uh, concerned about the event numbers that might take place at a winery. They're concerned about the access issues that uh, may be um, involved with wineries. They're concerned about the tasting room regulations. And they are um, concerned about us uh, being able to enforce um, any new ordinances that we put into place. Um, so what I did to address those, because these are all exactly similar to the event center ordinance, specifically with agricultural event centers, I simply lifted the language from what was approved as part of the event center ordinance and placed it in the winery ordinance. Um, we have added one section, which is um, a boutique winery, which is, um, my memory serves me right, 2,500 cases or less. So what a boutique winery would be able to do is if they make less than 2,500 cases, which is a lot of the wineries in the county right now, they don't necessarily um, need to invest a lot in a tasting room and bathrooms and ADA compliance. What we have decided that we would allow them to do is put up sort of, um, I don't know for lack of a better term, like a bar you would see on a beach, uh, less than 120 square feet, um, open on two sides where people could come up and have tasting, wouldn't require a bathroom, wouldn't require anything like that. So it's, it would be a way to encourage small wineries. They wouldn't be allowed events. They would be allowed temporary outdoor events, just like anyone else in the county would be allowed to um, apply for a temporary outdoor event. The other thing that um, is moving forward with the winery ordinance, which is sort of on a side and parallel track is that we are asking that the temporary outdoor event um, permit section of the ordinance be um, changed to allow six days worth of events, not just two events, which could be three days each. So with that, is there any questions? Because I brought comparisons of the four issues that uh, I just discussed. Anything? None. Richard? So, uh, for a winery, uh, <clears throat> we passed a uh, community center, or a community center was passed by the Board of Supervisors. Yeah, an event center ordinance. And yeah. so, uh, our, would wineries uh, at some point in time reach a certain level that they're going to need to uh, apply for a community center? Uh, zoning or what's what's the breakoff point there between <coughs> and communities? Essentially the way this um, existing winery ordinance is is written because 
we now know what the board's policy is regard with regard to agricultural event centers is that really the only um, difference the only difference with the winery ordinance is that wineries can start at 4.6 acres and it's what a winery can do up until they get to the agricultural event center so if you're a winery and you want to do the things for instance that an agricultural event center would do as provided in the event center ordinance then you become subject to that ordinance so you have things that you can do as a winery but when you cross beyond that and you go into what would can be construed as an agricultural event center then you become subject to that what's the break point there um, wine the real break point is wineries can be on parcels as small as 4.6 acres okay agricultural event centers start at 10 acres so there's really room for discussion about what wineries can do between 4.6 acres and 10. At least in my mind, and if you have a different thought, you should share that with me. But that's, that's the way I see it since we just, um, just adopted an event center ordinance, which clearly puts down the Board of Supervisors' expectations about how they want events to be done in agricultural zone districts. So it's just the acreage is the difference? I guess maybe I didn't follow that. Well, the, the, what I was saying is wineries can start at 4.6 acres. Agricultural event centers start at 10 acres, okay? So you have to discuss in general what a winery is allowed to do, and specifically, you have to be able to address that gap um, of uh, 4.6 to 10. For instance, this ordinance provides for um, the ability to get, if it goes as proposed, an administrative review permit for six events, then you could apply for um, TOEs, temporary outdoor events, for another six. So as a winery, you could have 12 events if you go through that process. If you want to go beyond that, then you'd need to start meeting the requirements as an agricultural event center. And they'd have to have 10 acres in. Then they have to have 10 acres. And meet the income. Meet the income acres. requirement. Yes. Let me see. Another question is: uh, at our last meeting, there was a discussion about uh, uh, the proportion of the property, be it 4.6 acres or more, mm -hmm. that uh, is growing grapes. Right. Have we uh, changed that, or where's that at? We have not. The only thing that's changed with regard to the winery ordinance at this point is that um, you are required to have an acre of grapes. And there's no longer um, the ability of the Ag Commissioner to make a functional equivalency determination. However, I think if we go forward and we go to the Ag Commissioner and when we go out to the MAX as an action item, when this comes back to you, there may be a recommendation to change that number to, to more grapes, um, less grapes. I'm not sure at this point. My sense is, I've gone to the Agricultural Commission a few times, my sense is, is that they're of the opinion that um, it should be a percentage of the site, not a flat number. Mm -hmm. So that's something relatively easy to do. If that's the consensus when we come back, we would propose that to you. Okay. Ben? Thank you. Yep. Anything else? Any George, other questions? Yes. Uh, George, uh, since enforcement seems to be a kind of a hot issue through yeah. this, uh, both the event center and this, right. and you've kind of come up with a, a way of addressing that, I was right. just wanted to ask how's the progress of that coming along? Progress is good. I um, extended an offer to a third code enforcement officer yesterday, which they 
accepted. Um, they're coming on board with the understanding that they will be working possibly alternative work schedules. <clears throat> right now, what we're gonna do is we have three full-time officers now. Um, we're gonna make officers available on the weekends on an on-call basis to address the issues. Um, if that is not adequate, then we will actually have an officer who works an alternative work schedule, might like work from 12 to eight. Um, we have um, also, with regard to wineries, we've also um, what we call the task force. We went out and visited wineries um, that would allow us on the property. We gave them the option of not letting us, you know, if you want us to come and, and talk to you about what you can and can't do and see if there's any issues. Some of them had some issues and we're gonna issue letters to all of them saying, look, this is what we saw when we were out there. Please come in and talk to us and, and see what we can do to fix it. Uh, something else that you talked about is uh, having postings on these properties that want to have events, whether, again, they're event centers or wineries, uh -huh. where there would be a number that they could call, not just at that location, but also if they can't get a response at that location, that they could call somebody at the county that they will actually get somebody to answer the phone. Right. So is there going to be like a uh, cell phone or something that's going to be passed between those three officers so that somebody is available to answer during those sort of Yeah, we're going to have like, like a hotline, which will okay. be the same number all the time, that um, <coughs> will um, be available for people to call. So the posting is something you're still kind of proposing to do? The posting, I don't actually have a requirement for posting in here, but clearly that's something that very easily we could do. Yeah. I, posting on a winery with numbers. Sure. I, yeah. It's up to the, obviously the rest of the uh, planning commission, yeah. but I, it's something I would really suggest because then it makes it really available for anybody who has an issue. Sure. They may not always get a response from the, the owner of the property. Right. It was suggested by some of the other commissioners that maybe your cell phone number would be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Thank you, George. Anyone else have any questions or comments? Just one Ken? Quick, quick one, George. Um, I know the roads were a big issue mm -hmm. on this, and you, you said that um, they crossed over with some of the event centers. Did they pick up on the road issues from that? You mean does the winery ordinary pick up? Yeah. Matter of fact, what I did is the language that um, – was put into the for agricultural event centers, which requires if you're on a private road that you need a um, two-thirds majority of the people for it to go ahead as a winery. I put that into the winery ordinance. The only exception to that is um, because boutique wineries, if you wanted to be a boutique wineries, aren't allowed events and they really don't have like a tasting room per se, they would not be subject to that, that two-thirds um, uh, majority of the of the private road owners. Okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe one more question that just just came up. Uh, so the boutique wineries, if they wanted to have an event, they could apply under the temporary event program. Just like anyone else, just like you could, just like I could. Okay. We have a temporary outdoor event section in our ordinance, which allows anyone to apply for temporary outdoor event. So they would still be allowed to do that. Is that part of the winery ordinance or is it going to be a separate ordinance? The temporary outdoor event ordinance is um, a separate section of the zoning ordinance. The only reason it's coming forward is because um, it's come up a number of times that instead of allowing two three-day events, that it would be better served 
a lot of the people and wineries to be allowed to have like six one-day events. So it's the same amount of days. It's just the number of events that may or may not change. Okay, thanks. Yep. <clears throat> okay, anyone else have a question? Okay, thank you. Well, so quickly, let me go over this really quick. I have the, okay, four, sure. the four hot button items. So the first one is event. This is the exact same language that was approved by the board for um, agricultural event centers. Basically, it says if you have 20 people or more who are gathered for an event, that uh, it's construed to be an event. Less than 20, it's not an event. If you have more people on your winery, and this always comes up, if you happen to be very popular and 30 people show up for a wine tasting at one time, that's not an event because you don't have 30 people there to have a social gathering. You have 30 people dropping in to drink some wine and, and taste it and leave. So that's not an event. It has to be like the Rotary Club coming to have a meeting or something like that with more than 20 people to be an event. So what they have right now is what's called a promotional event. You can only have events that promote your winery. Virtually no other jurisdiction that I looked at actually has the provision that it be a promotional event. So um, the proposal is just to leave that out, that you can have just events, whatever they may be. I think most vintners and winery owners would tell you simply having people on their winery for an event is promoting their product. Whether they, they pair it with food or wine or that sort of thing, just having them there is good for their business. So that's the proposal, same as in the community center or event center ordinance. Um, this was also a topic of, of uh, contention. Our existing ordinance says public tasting refers to wine sampling by the general public. No definition of what sampling is. Traditionally, it's been a one-ounce pour. Um, what's proposed in the new ordinance, um, that tasting be allowed in accordance with California state law, which allows for um, on-site sale of beer and wine, uh, excuse me, not beer, but wine for by the bottle and by the glass for on-site consumption. Every jurisdiction that I talk to basically refers back to the state. <clears throat> we do have the ability to be more restrictive um, we just have not had an ordinance. I did not find any ordinance that, that does that. Um, access standards. Um, this is the one that I was telling you about. This is exactly from the um, uh, event center ordinance, the two-thirds vote of the property owners, unless you're a boutique winery. Um, and this is the existing, just says access roads to winery structures. Uh, to wineries basically shall meet state and local fire standards. There's no requirement other than they may have to upgrade a public, uh, or I'm sorry, a private road. Um, boutique winery. Refers to a winery with an annual production of less than 2,500 cases. Um, then it talks about the 120 square foot uh, tasting area. Um, and no events other than temporary outdoor events are allowed at a boutique winery. I should say, and the ordinance isn't clear on this, but it did come up, that even if you do make less than 2,500 cases, you could also be construed to be a small winery if you chose to go that route so that if you wanted to have events and you wanted to take care of the private access, because you make less than 2,500, you're not excluded from going to the next step. Um, 
this is just the language about the temporary outdoor events, changing it from two, three days to um, six days worth of events. And this is how um, I see us moving forward. Um, <clears throat> after today, I am anticipating that um, I will be able to go to the max with an ordinance which is substantially um, what you're comfortable with for an action item. Then uh, we'll prepare the environmental document in December. Um, we will start going to the um, um, MAX municipal area councils, municipal advisory council, excuse me, in um, December and January. Back here in February for your final recommendation to the board, to the board in March of 2015. Any other questions, gentlemen? Any questions? I do. Yes. Uh, George, just on the uh, road access, the two-thirds vote, yeah. is that one time or per event? No. That would be, for instance, if you're on a private road and you're a winery, that would be a one-time. You would come in with a signed agreement and that sort of thing, and people, two-thirds of the people would have to agree that um, you can do this on their private road. So it would be a one-time issue. So if somebody sold the house who had voted, the new person wouldn't have anything to say, they just know that that was going to be allowed. I, I would think that if you had a winery and you had signed an agreement that said um, we agree to have a winery that's going to have events, that that would be something that would come under disclosure laws. Um, yeah. yeah. That you would need to disclose that. So would it be recorded? Um, haven't really thought about that. I don't know if that's a recordable document or not. We would have to talk to the um, recorder's office. If we could record it, that would be a good just thing. Just become part of their road easement or something like that? Uh, that would be something we could look into. In actuality, um, this particular process would anticipate that this agreement come in at the time of application submittal, and that would not be something that would be recorded. Obviously, if there was any uh, discretionary permit for the winery, that would run with the land and be there. Um, so no, uh, chances are we would not record it. Okay, if there's nothing else, George, I, we'll see if there's anyone from the public that would care to comment great briefly on <coughs> your presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone who would care to come address the commission on the winery issue? Give us your name and... Good morning, gentlemen. Lori Lewis, Wise Road, Newcastle. I feel like the canary in the in the coal mine. Um, you all know that I have a winery 900 feet from my home and I have an event center probably 2,000 feet from my home. Last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, the winery had an event, a fundraiser for a bicycle race that started at 7 in the morning. Whether they pulled an outdoor permit for that or a promotional, I didn't even follow up on that. That event started at 7 in the morning and ended at 5. That was at the winery, and there was a whole bunch of bicyclists. 5 o'clock, Gold Hill Gardens has a wedding. Mm -hmm. Now, from 5 until 10 p.m. I had it on both sides of me. Where is the county protecting my right to the, the agricultural zoning when, and I've had neighbors come to my house, they haven't for, filed a formal complaint yet, 
but the Gold Hill Garden sounds like a football stadium. It sounds like there's a football game going on because the events that he's having is being held outside and that's being carried for miles. So I'm the canary in the mind and, and the county has really, um, this last proposal, I'm really pleased to see all the accommodations on our side, but take a broad look at the event centers and wineries because they're gonna be right next door to other people that it impacts. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Anyone else? Morning, I'm Susan Ames. I'm on the corner of Wise and Gold Hill, just one property in a street over from Lori. Um, so I have the same issues and the same complaints. But I have a couple questions. One is um, when you talk about an acre of grapes, how many plants does that constitute? And same with the hops for the breweries. Um, does five plants on an acre constitute planting an acre of grapes? There needs to be a, there's an average if you, if you do some um, investigating of how many plants usually they'll plant for an acre. So I think we need to set a number of plants rather than a number of acres to be clear. Um, the second thing is, uh, Lori addressed this too, Every Saturday night, all summer long, Gold Hill Gardens had an, an event. And it was so loud that I actually had to take my dogs in because they've got amplified PA announcements and then the crowd would cheer and people would be leaving and honking their horns at 11, 11.30 sometimes. Um, I called several times to complain and left a message on their answering machine and got no response, no action on it, nothing. So I really need to stress that we do need to have a number posted so that people have some kind of a recourse because it's very, very invasive. I could hear the music um, when I was in my pasture locking up my animals every Saturday night. Uh, and it, that's only going to get worse. And the other thing is, um, speaking of posting things and... and I know Carol has brought up with George um, the idea of limiting the amount of um, wine or beer consumed at the tasting rooms or whatever. It can't be unlimited. You're putting the winery owner in a position where they have to cut it off, which is against their whole plan, which is to make more money off their wines. I think they need to have a limit set, and I think that also needs to be posted at the site with a number so that if someone sees someone going over the limit, there's somewhere else they can complain to besides the winery owner. That's kind of a sticky situation. And the reason that I mention that is, I don't know if you remember, but last summer I mentioned that two properties, one on one side of me and one, the one between Lori and I on the other corner, had people come through their fences. One was a drunk driver, one we're not sure about. That same one between Lori and I, some other drunk driver just came through their fence again last week. This is both sides of me in the space of less than a year. Um, so I think we need to be really, really careful about what, in the name of tasting, we let be consumed at these places because I think we're going to have an ugly incident somewhere down the line. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? <clears throat> Since uh, Sue has mentioned my comment that I uh, made to Mr. Rososco, and uh, I think all of you had a copy on it. By the way, I'm Carol Rubin. I live in Newcastle. 
probably three miles away from uh, Lori and Sue. Um, I, I wanted to congratulate uh, uh, George on what I think is a, a very even-handed um, approach to the winery ordinance uh, over the first draft that we saw, especially with respect to events. But I really would like you to consider a provision um, which you're allowed in uh, Business and Professional Code 223358, which is the one the vintners are citing that allows them to serve alcohol at a tasting room by the glass or bottle. Consider placing a limit on that. Um, I think everybody, the county and, and planning and, and even the vintners have an interest in making sure that tasting rooms don't become perceived as neighborhood watering holes, especially in residential and farm zoning. And, and we all remember the recent very nasty um, situation with Goat House Brewery. Uh, I think by placing a reasonable limit, which would be two five-ounce servings per hour to a maximum of one 750-mil bottle, that's about five servings per customer per day, would allow the vintners to, to have, their have their customers sample the wine adequately. They can still buy as much as they want, as many cases as they want. They can go down the road and drink it. They just can't drink more than that on the premises. And this gives the, the proprietor an out, too, to a customer who uh, may be hanging around a little too long and making them nervous. They can just point to the sign and say, sorry, our, our county code says that uh, I can't serve you anymore. Um, this is going to be uh, especially important in farm and residential zoning where um, a neighborhood tavern is a really undesirable use. So I, I'm really hoping that there can be some discussion on this and we can consider the provision. By the way, two glasses per hour, two five-ounce servings per hour, is already enough to render a considerable portion of the population, including a female of my size, impaired under the drunk driving statutes. So I don't think the uh, vintners want people leaving their establishments drunk any more than the rest of us do. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Hi there. I'm Jeff Evans with Bear River Winery in Meadow Vista. Um, I'd like to make three points, and the first one is about the boutique winery definition that's being added to this uh, um, zoning amendment. Uh, they mentioned this case uh, uh, amount of uh, 2,500 cases. I'm not sure if any of you have really internalized what that number really means. Um, a winemaker gets about 50 cases per ton of, of, of wine. And so if you take 2,500 and divide it by 50, you end up with 50 tons. That's how many grapes uh, we're talking about, 50 tons of grapes. Anything less than 50 tons, you would be considered a boutique winery. Well, you know, if you look at all the wineries in Placer County, there's probably only two or three that actually exceed um, that number. And if you look on the TTB's website, there's 29 permitted wineries in Placer County. So you know, you're saying that most all of these people will not be able, allowed to have promotional events. I, I don't get that. The, the threshold is just really ridiculous. And, um, you know, you're allowing TOEs for these people, um, which means we could bring in hundreds of people. Like when we do the Grape Days of Summer, 
ticket sales are about 600. We could bring in 600 people for a TOE, you know, get a porta potty, get permission, pay the fee. But when I want to do a winemaker's dinner and have 28 people, I can't do it. Um, you know, when I want to do um, a wine club release party with 30 people, I can't do it. Um, that number just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and I don't think the county has really thought clearly about it. Anyway, that's my first point. My second point, I think I'm, I'm beginning to feel like a broken record because I've been saying this for over a year now. I came here in July of 2013 with the same message about resort zoning and the lack of this one spot being filled in with a C or CUP or MUP or ARP or something. When we went to go in 2009 to get our permit, uh, business license rather, from uh, the county, they, you know, they told us no. I had to go get a, a letter of determination from Michael Johnson, which I'm going to give you a, a copy of. And in here, in this determination letter, I want to quote you directly what Michael Johnson, who's the top guy in the planning department, right, um, said. He said, in looking at the permitted uses within the res zoning district, a variety of retail services, service uses are permitted, including outdoor retail sales, restaurants and bars, retail stores, roadside stands for agricultural products, shopping centers, offices, and gasoline service stations. As noted above, some of these already permitted land uses within the res zoning district are more intensive in land use than the production of wine. Additionally, these same uses are allowed in other commercial zoning districts where the production of wine is also permitted. County staff could find no logic as to why the production of wine was not identified as a permitted use within the res zoning district. Here we are a year and a half later, and you know we have this latest version that's going out to the max, and these areas are still blank, even though right below it, wholesale and retail sale of wine and grape products is allowed on res. Wine tasting and retail sales of wine merchandise is allowed on res. Um, promotional events up to six per year is allowed on res, but I can't crush some grapes and ferment them because this table has not been filled in by the planning department to allow wine reproduction, wine production on res. I just don't get it. Like I said, I'm, I'm really, I'm feeling like a broken record. My third and last point that I'd like to talk about is this uh, removing the functional equivalent clause that was in here for wineries. Um, you know, you, could, you were either required to have an acre of grapes, and, and like George mentioned, you know, the Agricultural you know, Commission would probably like to have that be some percentage, or the Ag Commissioner could sign off for a functional equivalent if you were buying grapes from Placer County, from El Dorado County, from Nevada County. Well, this means that, you know, a person who wants to build a winery, say, at the airport where there's a gin distillery out there, but if I wanted to have a winery at the airport and I wanted to use a commercial building on commercial land at the airport in unincorporated Placer County, I would have to have an acre of grapes out there. I couldn't use the functional equivalent anymore. I couldn't just be a fermentation, you know, slash bottling plant on commercial land in the airport because they've, they've removed this, this functional equivalent. And uh, for me, the way I've internalized it, you know, I, I have land that I can plant uh, grapes on. You know, it's $20,000 an acre to do it. But, you know, 
if this is what becomes the rule, this means that I will likely not be buying grapes from any of the other growers that I have been buying from in Placer County because I'll have to plant it on my property and I'll have to invest in that. And so the people that I have had contracts with for a number of years now, I'll say, sorry, can't buy from you anymore. Anyway, those are my three points. Thank you. You have a great Thank day. Thank you. Can I respond to those, Mr. Sevenson? Uh, sure. Just, <clears throat> I actually agree with um, most of what Mr. Evans said. The boutique winery, that's not, it, it's not very clear in the ordinance, but it's not meant to force someone to be a boutique winery. It's meant to give them the opportunity to have a winery at a lesser level. However, if you only made 500 cases and you wanted to have events and you wanted to have winemaker dinners, you could fall under the small winery. So it's not meant to, to force people into the boutique winery section. It's only meant to give people the option of going in. So or you could go to the next step. A boutique-sized winery could still qualify as a large or a small winery if they want to meet all the conditions of approval right. that go with those Right, Those and, uses. It, and it's not it's not clear, and that's what I said earlier. That needs to be more clearly addressed in this ordinance. The second part about um, not allowing wineries in the resort zone district, again, Mr. Evans is right. Those need to be added because we did make an interpretation that um, wineries could take place in resort. We don't have very much resort zoning. I've looked it up as far as agricultural event centers and things. I think there's six or seven pieces in the entire county zone resort um, not a lot of it but he is correct it does need to be it does need to be added we do need to put that in just like we would in um, other zone districts to allow them to have small wineries large wineries boutique wineries um, with regard to the functional equivalency that's something that um, I've talked to the Ag Commissioner about it's something that we can certainly look at as we move forward we can talk to the Ag Commission about whether they think we should still have a functional equivalency or not. Um, I would tell you that if you are strictly, a, like you make wine or distill spirits in a commercial zone district, not going to need to grow an acre of grapes. And we can, we can clear that up. I mean, if you go to like a food processing plant and set up a winery and you buy grapes from somewhere, that's a different use. That's not really a winery. That's more like food processing and that sort of thing. So that would be something that we can also address. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a different use. Okay, thanks, George. Yeah. Is there anyone else that would care to comment quickly? Seeing no one coming forward, then we'll defer any action here and, and refer it back to George. And I think... So what, what I'm hope, hopeful for today is that you have a comfort level with the ordinance that we can go out to the max for an action item. I think... Um, the things that we probably need to discuss, or at least to discuss with the MACs, are tasting regulations. I can add um, a requirement for the posting about the hotline number and the property owner's number if they're having events. I'll clean up the language with regard to boutique wineries, and I'll also take care of the resort issue. Um, and uh, we can also talk about the functional equivalency issue. All relatively easy things to handle. Okay. All right. Wayne, you have a question. I have two things. Uh, two of the other comments that we heard, I want to uh. get a response from you on that. One was on how many grapes are planted on an acre mm -hmm. uh, and if there should be a little better definition on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, 
The second was uh, restriction of how much can be consumed on site. Uh, do you have some thoughts on either one of those? Um, at this point, with regard to how many grapes can be planted on an acre, I, I frankly don't have any idea. What I would tell you is, right? Yeah, I would refer you to that commissioner who's actually here. I think there's some standard practice about spacing, and you can, I guarantee you, he's not going to go for five plants on an acre. <laughs> it's just that's not that's not going to be okay. So I'm sure that there's some standard um, that off. Uh, equivalency that you would need to do to be considered an acre of grapes. But we can ask uh, Commissioner Hunt Singer. Agriculture yeah, Commissioner Singer is here. With regard to the tasting, yeah. uh, you know, as we go through this, I'm open to any any recommendations and things that we get. The reason we put it in um, by the bottle, by the glass, in conformance with state law, is because that is generally, when I say generally, not generally, I haven't found any other jurisdiction that does anything differently. That does not necessarily mean that we can't. Um, it's just I went with what everyone else had. So as we go through the process, um, that's certainly something that I can address to the MAX and to the Agricultural Commission and see what the sense is. Do you want to limit it to like a bottle a day per person, two, five ounce, you know, something like that? It's not an issue. I mean, I can, I can take that forward. I thought, at least for me, I thought it was kind of a valid point in that uh -huh. it's actually the winery owner and out if somebody's sort of hanging out and sure. drinking a little bit too much and they can say, I can't do that. Right. That's, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to ask all those questions when we go back to the max um, and uh, find out what the sentence is and come back. Anything okay. Else? Any other questions of George? If not, we'll. Can I, can I ask just one more point of, just a sec, Josh, one more point of clarification. So do you have a level of comfort with those things that we've talked about that we can take this out as an action item and come back? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. And this is Josh Hunsinger, the Agricultural Commissioner. Hi, good morning. Josh Hunsinger, Placer County Agricultural Commissioner. Um, I can answer the question on the planting density. Um, it's, I would pref strongly prefer that it not be sp specified. And the reason for that is there's a ton of variables. It's everything from the, um, the type of soil, the type of irrigation or lack thereof, the variety of grapes, the type of trellising system that the grower chooses to use. A lot of that stuff is based both on the personal preference of the grower, the goals for what type of production, is it maximum tonnage, is it maximum quality, is it somewhere in between. There's a lot of different things. What kind of equipment do they want to use? Do they want to use all-hand equipment or do they want to be able to fit a tractor in between the rows? There's, there's a whole lot of different variables and so, you know, I've been asked to do some of these. Hops was mentioned. I did do an analysis out there. And what I look for is I look for, I talk to the grower and I say, you know, why did you reach this conclusion that this spacing of, you know, if it's a 10 by 12 spacing on their planting, for instance, why did you reach that? You know, why is that what you decided to do? And they explain that to me. And then I go back and I research kind of what the standard industry practices are. You know, if it's a range of, of 1,000 to 1,500 plants per acre, and they're at 1,200 plants. I go, okay, that's, you know, that's that's within that range. If it's 800 plants, and I'm just making up numbers, this isn't anything standard. But you know, if it's 800 plants, then we really need to look at why it's below that standard, and we'll talk about that and see if they have some valid reason. You know, it's like, well, I don't have enough irrigation water, so I need to plant them a little 
wider spacing so that I can, you know, that's all the water I have available. You know, there, there's a lot of things that go into it like that. You know, obviously if it's something ridiculous like five plants, that's of course not going to fly. But, you know, there's quite a bit that goes into each grower selecting a specified planting density. And so um, I would strongly prefer that, you know, that kind of be left up to a determination rather than a, a set number in the ordinance if that's your pleasure. You know, I guess what my question would be, Josh, is uh, it sounds like the existing ordinance and maybe the proposed ordinance gives you the discretion to uh, evaluate if we have a valid uh, planting regime. The existing ordinance allows either one acre of planted grapes or a functional equivalency. And what happens in that case is somebody says, well, you know, I don't have a, I want a winery, I don't have an acre of grapes on site, and so I'm creating a functional equivalency by buying grapes from the, from the region. And so they'll typically say, you know, I have a contract with so-and-so for three acres or three tons of grapes and I have a, another contract with this entity over here for another two, ten, two tons of grapes. You know, if you use an average of three tons per acre worth of production, then they more than, you know, their five tons they're buying more than exceeds that acre of functional equivalency. Um, and so, you know, typically I'll go through that analysis if that makes sense that, you know, okay, those are two local entities they're buying grapes from, so they are meeting that functional equivalency. The way the proposed ordinance would read, they actually would need an acre of grapes uh, to be physically planted on the, on the side of the winery. And so that's just as it sits today, that may or may not change depending so, on your direction. So basically then, when this goes to the Ag Commission, then you'll probably look at this particular issue and... If there's some proposed wording that comes out of the commission, then that's what we'll see the next time. Yeah, so uh, my anticipation is that this, this, uh, this draft ordinance would go to the Ag Commission next month. I believe it's December 8th. And my hope would be that they would submit a, a, a set of comments or recommendations to you for your consideration at the December 8th meeting. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I think we could have a condition, sign off by the Ag Commission to, that it meets the standard if we choose to. Okay. Uh, Marshall Davis, um, vendor at Davis Dean Sellers, an owner in Lincoln. Uh, with regards to putting limits to certain things in your wordage, your wording, um, uh, you know, we're all responsible adults here. Uh, the state puts lim enough limits on us as it is. Uh, what's next? You're going to limit how many times they can go to the buffet, how many times they can use the restroom in an allotted time period? It it's kind of ridiculous so many limits. I mean, we're all responsible adults. We don't want anybody to drive home inebriated. Um, and with respect to food processing, we are actually winemakers. We buy grapes. We make wine out of them. We, I don't have property that I have a vineyard planted on, but I have contracts with a lot of growers where I buy my grapes from. And we have to have the same licensing as if you were going to make your wine from your own grapes. So just with respect to that, that is winemaking. It's not food processing. So I wanted to make that statement. Thank you very much. Okay, anyone else? I guess not. Thank you. Uh, we're back where we left off, and I think you've got your arms around. I think I know back. exactly the, the issues that we need to talk about. I wrote them all down. Um, we will go out to the max as an action item. I'll clean up those things we talked about, posting the resort issues make it clear with regard to um, the boutique winery that it's okay. not meant to be restrictive. It's just meant to give people another option if they don't want to be a small winery or a large winery. Um, I think I have everything else. 
Well, I think when you go to the Ag Commission, you might offer them the opportunity to be the sign-off group for the one-acre certification type thing. Yeah, I will talk to them about that. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Okay. We'll conclude that item then. Thank you, George. You bet. Uh, we'll move on now to our next item. I had it turned. I had it turned <laughs> off. I know. I'm just kidding. And I don't know why. All right. Let's take a two-minute break for everyone to change seats. I've got to get a new.
We'll, uh, who turned it off? Give you a chance to speak so everybody can hear it. The, um, so anyway, we're going to now take the Boulder subdivision TSE residence in the appeal, uh, EJ. Alexander on behalf of uh, Dr. Kelvin Say and Dr. Cindy Say, uh, they're requesting approval of a subdivision map and conditional use permit modification to allow two things. Uh, to allow open fencing to be installed 10 feet from the westerly property line along Moss Lane, where 25 feet is currently required. And then also to allow an existing entry feature with six foot high walls to be located within the 35 foot front setback and partially within a private road and public utility easement. So the Boulder subdivision, uh, this, this was one of the last pieces of Los Lagos that was developed. It's actually located on the west side of Auburn Folsom Road, which runs along here. Uh, it's a 17 lot subdivision, approved in 1999. Uh, lot sizes average uh, about 2.41 acres. Uh, the, the Sayes residence, uh, which is right up here, uh, is just over two acres. There's one uh, kind of one lone residence down here that is actually also included in this subdivision. Uh, and this access off of Auburn Folsom Road is Moss Lane, which runs right alongside the entire subdivision. Here's a more detailed view of the Sayes property. This is located at 5758 Avenida Robles. Uh, and just to kind of explain the features on site, obviously there's a, a large single-family residence. Uh, there's a swimming pool that was recently constructed, a wetland preservation easement, uh, which is, is kind of how we got started with all this, is up, located up in this area, the uh, northwestern part of the property. Uh, Moss Lane, of course, you can see runs right along the rear of the property. There's an open space slot, open space slot JJ, that is located down to the south of the property. Um, and then access is provided by a cul-de-sac, Avenida Robles. Uh, and then this is uh, the entry feature that was constructed, which is also uh, a point of discussion today. So just to give you a little background, uh, this, uh, this all started with complaints uh, filed from the neighbors about activity happening on site. Uh, county staff uh, went out there originally in July of 2012. Uh, and this large wetland preservation easement area, at the time we went out there, it was being graded. Uh, the property owner had placed a, a pipe uh, and fill dirt within that area. They've also, also removed all the uh, wetland protection fencing in that area. Uh, in the purpose of using that as part of their property. Uh, also, there was uh, uh, some trees that were limbed. I think there were about 40 trees, uh, or actually 22 trees were limbed. I think there were 40 limbs that came off those 22 trees. And then there were seven trees that were actually removed. Uh, that was all done unauthorized. The conditions of, of approval required that uh, the property owners get the approval of the Development Review Committee uh, before they do any tree removal. 
Uh, a solid wood fence was also constructed. Did you say EJ? Yes. Were those trees within the wetland uh, preserve area? There were three trees within the WPE that were removed. That's correct. Okay. It's a little confusing if, you know, when they built the house, they probably had to remove some trees. But yeah, and this, I believe, you know, the property owners moved in after the, this house had been constructed and was there. Uh, before construction even took place, the wetland protection area fencing was already established, already installed. So those, those areas were clearly demarked uh, on the site. And what I'm doing now is giving you kind of just the history of the site. Uh, what you're actually asked to be uh, to consider today are, you know, two items regarding the fencing and the gate. But, you know, I think it's important that you understand all the history that has gone on out at this property, uh, you know, both for the applicant and uh, those speaking in opposition. Uh, they also planted some uh, redwood trees within the wetland preservation easement, uh, which was not allowed. And back to the solidwood fencing, this was constructed next to the open space lot. Uh, the conditions of approval strictly prohibit that. Uh, and then they also prohibit solidwood fencing, uh, you know, within 30 feet of uh, Moss Lane. So from the beginning, uh, the county uh, has been, you know, in contact with the property owner. We sent uh, two uh, notice of violation letters, one in July of 2012, uh, the second one in March 2013. The reason there was a gap between that time is the first time uh, we sent notice, a property owner immediately contacted the county, and he had indicated to us that, uh, you know, they didn't understand, you know, the rules and regulations regarding the WPE, and they had every intention to uh, correct that and restore the wetland area. When we went out in March 2013, that did not happen. Uh, code enforcement then uh, was involved. They sent a notice to the property owner in April of 2013. And then the district attorney actually got involved and filed a civil complaint in August of 2013. So since all that time, uh, the property owner has submitted a wetland restoration plan to restore that area. Uh, that was just uh, approved, you know, a couple months ago, and my understanding is that they are out there uh, now uh, implementing that plan. And they also uh, applied for a subdivision map conditional use permit modification. Originally, uh, they were going to ask for that WPE area uh, to be removed, uh, go through the subdivision modification process to do that. I believe they worked with the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, and did not have any success uh, in getting uh, any sort of uh, wetland fill permit for that area. So what we're here today to do is, is correct two of the violations on site because the other violations regarding the wetlands and Tree removal is, is being handled between, by the district attorney and also our code enforcement office. So the, the first thing we're going to look at is uh, uh, fencing that's proposed. They're uh, proposing a six-foot high black tube metal fence to be installed 10 feet from the westerly property line. And that would run uh, from lot JJ down to the south and run all the way up just short of the wetland preservation. This is kind of a bare site plan to see, but this is the WPE right here. And then the fence would end right in this area. 
And then there's a little depiction of the fence uh, flat on top just uh, for wildlife protection. And it's kind of a black wrought iron. <coughs> hey, Jeannie, could you, could you go back to that uh, map? Yes, sir. Okay, up at the upper end there where it says existing wooden fence up top, the top. So, that, so the existing one that's running parallel to moss, that one there that runs. Okay, so that says split, existing split rail split, fence. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Now, it, it continues up into the other property there, and it lines up with the, uh, the metal fence that the other property owner had put, the open metal fence up there. Where in relationship to that 25-foot setback are those two? Because it, I have a little conflict there finding out if the other property owner encroached on the 35 or 25 foot also because it, it appears that he, he did or else. I, I need those distances, I guess, identified for me. Okay, so what I'll, what I'll do when I get to the next slide is gonna show pictures and I'll, I'll, explain, okay. Okay. I'll explain somewhat right here. So the original conditions of approval and the understanding when the project got approved was that there would be a split rail fence Right. Uh, installed 25 feet from the property line, and that would run the entire length along all the lots, even the open space lots along Moss Lane. Right. So that was the original intention. So now when we go to the photos, uh, what you have is, now this is a neighboring property. This is a property to the north, and if you could, you could barely make it out, but the, the, you can see the split rail fence that still exists behind this black wrought iron fence. So what this neighbor did is that they constructed a uh, open fence, so very almost identical to what the applicant is proposing, uh, right next to that split rail fencing, which which is allowed by the conditions of approval. All it said is open, open type fencing. So the county made the determination that that was consistent with the original approval. So this is constructed 25 feet from the property line. Okay. So. On the Say's residence, uh, when they first began constructing the wood fence, uh, this shows the fence posts that are on the, on the property line. Mm -hmm. And then behind there is the original split rail fence that was set 25 feet back. And so that kind of shows you the distance uh, where, they, where they moved it. And then down below, on the bottom two slides, uh, this is the solid wood fence as it exists today and the applicant is proposing to remove that fence when they get the other fence constructed. And the timing of that is critical because they have a swimming pool and of course they have to have you know, safety fencing at all time. So this uh, fence down here would eventually be removed. They're proposing to uh, do a uh, black uh, kind of wrought iron fence uh, 15 feet closer to the roadway from that split rail fence which is different than what the neighbor did. They would, you know, they would be coming out another 15 feet. So that is the request that is before you today. As far as the entry feature, uh, this is what they're uh, asking for is an entry feature with six foot high stucco walls. There's pilasters, uh, lighting, there's a mailbox in there. And they're asking that that be located within the 35 foot front setback. Uh, typically walls maximum of height height of three feet are allowed so they exceed that uh, the other issue is this wall is located in a private road easement uh, 
which is owned by the HOA. Uh, the HOA has signed the application uh, to permit this. Uh, it's also located within a, a utility easement. And so uh, they would be required to abandon the public's interest in that utility easement as a condition of approval. Uh, throughout the subdivision, there are ex other examples of entry features uh, that have been constructed similar. Uh, this would not be out of character for that subdivision. The HOA uh, have, has approved it. So uh, the, the staff is in support of that request. So, EJ, uh, it looks like just the pillars are six feet. Is that wall six feet high? It didn't look like it to me. No, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not sure what the total, I know the pillars are six feet high, but yeah, those are, I, I mean, standing next to it, I'm, I'm over six foot and they were well, well below me. Okay. How, uh, EJ, how, how much into that 35 foot setback, or I'm really interested in the utility easement, does it go, does it cover the whole utility easement? Yeah, I don't know. Sharon, can you help me out here exactly? I'm not sure if we were exactly clear, but it's really close to the edge of right away. So two easements we're, just, we're talking about that have public interest. So the MPE is on the um, shared prop, front property line. The PUE covers the entire road easement. So they're probably about 10 feet into it when I look at the site plan. But we don't have the benefit of a survey, but it's, it's, it's at the edge of pavement. But we, we don't have any issue with, um, with that being a, a, usually you have to go through an abandonment process because the utilities that might be in that or could be in that in the future have to say we don't need it anymore. Have we gotten that kind of approval? No, that is a condition of approval that they would go through the abandonment process to get that abandoned. So they, so they would work with John Weber and he would send letters out to the utilities to see if they would support that. The alternative would be that he would need to relocate that, any portion that's within that public easement. Okay. Are those other pilasters we can see in that picture in the county right away then? This is a private road and oh, public utility road, okay. easement. So there is public interest in the public utility easement as well as in the multi-purpose easement that is 12 and a half feet back from the property line onto his property. Does is the county hold the title to the easements, the utility easements, or is there other agencies involved? They're, well, the public utility easements, as well as the MPE, the, the other utilities have interest in it, but the county is the keeper of it. So it was dedicated to the county, and we accepted them. Okay, thank you. Okay, EJ, I'm sorry. No problem. So with that, uh, I'll get to what our recommendation is. Uh, we're asking that the commission uh, make, a, make a finding that this project is categorically exempt from environmental review pursuant to CEQA. Uh, we're also asking you to, you know, approve this subdivision map conditional use permit modification uh, to allow the open fencing on lot 11 to be installed 10 feet from the westerly property line and also to allow the uh, existing entry feature on lot 11 uh, with a six-foot high walls to be located within 35-foot front setback and partially within the road and utility easements. There's a number of other slides, uh, just pictures of the site that I'll... Uh, you know, are available to, you know, the, the applicant and anybody speaking against. So I just want to make sure that they know there's other slides available that have pictures of the site. Okay. Thank you. Question. Yes. Uh, just on timing, was the pilaster and wall built after 
Yes. In fact, the you know from the time staff spent out there, you know, the first it was a wetland preservation easement that was disturbed, and then the solid wood fence went up along the back property line, and then I think during that time the the entry walls were also being constructed. Uh, I know this, the SAIs were doing a lot of improvements all out there at once, and so it was just kind of a series of. Uh, you know, construction activities that, uh, you know, some of them that were unauthorized. Okay. Any other questions of EJ? Seeing none, I guess we'll let you off the hook right. now. Thank you. Okay. Is the applicant and or their representative care to? Oh, okay. Uh, members of the Planning Commission, uh, Nick Alexander on behalf of Drs. Uh, Kelvin and Cindy Say. Um, on behalf of the property owners, we wish to extend our thanks to staff for assisting us in uh, navigating some very uh, confusing issues and arriving what we feel is a, is a compromise. We, we are in agreement with the staff report and will accept the conditions of approval as proposed by staff, but uh, we want to put, point out several items that you know, resulted in otherwise a simple issue becoming very confusing. Um, first of all is the, the pool permit issued by the building department. Um, if you go to this, this thing that I have in your packet, um, we do wish the property owners uh, believe they had approvals from both the uh, Boulders HOA and the uh, Placer County Building Department to construct a solid wood fence. Um, as pointed out in the staff report, um, California law requires all pools to be secured by fencing. Examination of the plans approved for code compliance. If you notice in the yellow on, your, on this exhibit I gave you, it clearly states that it's a, it's a six-foot wood fence at the location it was constructed in. And if you look to the right, uh, these were, this is a reduction of the copy of the stamp plans. So um, while we acknowledge um, it was later on identified as a mistake because of the conditions of approval. The property owners did feel that um, they had the appropriate authorization to construct a solid wood fence, and it wasn't until the complaints raised by the neighbors regarding the 15-year-old conditions of approval for the Boulder subdivision that the um, fencing and the structural setback issues were identified. Um, furthermore, um, had these issues been identified at building permit, um, it would have been noted that the fence would have been located approximately five feet from the edge of the spa and the pool. And that's, that's the, blue, the blue line is the 25-foot structural setback. And you can see it just perhaps clips the pool. And then due to privacy concerns um, uh, of the property owners, uh, just note that this home was um, went, into, went into foreclosure by the original builder um, and was a subject of squatters occupying the residence um, prior to the uh, property owners purchasing the property, um, it, which is why they wanted the fence. The, the property owners may have elected prior to the issuance of the pool permit not either to relocate the pool elsewhere within the 2.4-acre uh, lot or elect not to construct the pool at all. You know, therefore, given the confusion surrounding the issue, we strongly believe that the location of the fence at the 10 foot, 10 foot, set 10 foot back from the property line is a fair compromise 
for all parties involved. Please note that the structural, the 25-foot structural setback is still valid and no structures are proposed to be built in there. Um, next issue is the six-foot uh, tubular steel fencing. Uh, as pointed out on paragraph four, uh, pay, uh, page four, paragraph three of the staff report, the proposal to locate the six-foot tubular steel fencing is not out of character for the neighborhood. Uh, paragraph Page four of the staff report points out that there are several lots with different types of fencing at various setbacks within the Boulder subdivision and along Moss Lane. And in the pictures that I've included, the first one is, a, uh, is along Moss Lane. And you can see the white fence is set several feet off the right of way. Second photo is, a, is another one with a black fence that we propose to match which is set a couple feet off the, off the right-of-way as well. And then um, the other one is the, uh, is the property to the north that, that we, the, the type of material for the fence we're, we're trying to match. Therefore, uh, no new precedent will be set. Finally, the tubular steel fencing matches the property, uh, uh, property to the north and would meet the legal requirement of the state of California for pool fencing. Uh, conversely, the installation of split rail fencing does not secure the pool and is inconsistent with California law. The uh, driveway entry feature, um, as, as noted in the staff report, the uh, Boulders project is a PUE and it's permissible. Um, the entry feature is permissible with a CUP modification. And also note this request is consistent with other properties uh, within the Boulder subdivision and would not set a new precedent. Um, with regard to the, the tree removal, uh, the property owner felt that um, based on um, the tree ordinance, um, which allows a, a, a lot that will not be further subdivided and is a, uh, 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 under the control of a homeowner, not a developer like me, the uh, ability to remove up to 50% of your trees on your lot without, without the, the need of a permit. And again, this was brought up as a result of the conditions of, of, of examining conditions of approval at a later time. But um, I believe staff has a copy of the, of the arborist report and um, the vast majority of those trees were six inches or less. There were only seven trees that um, rose to the level of, of uh, of regulation and, and they were mostly uh, decayed. Um, but that staff report is on, under uh, in, uh, in the uh, planning department's file. So anyway, uh, in conclusion, um, as we previously mentioned, we're in agreement with the staff report and the conditions of approval. Um, tubular steel fencing, given the other property owners along Moss Lane have erected tubular steel fencing, no new precedent has been set. And as pointed out in the staff report, it's not out of character for the neighborhood. Uh, furthermore, tubular steel fencing, it secures the pool, and is consistent with California law. And uh, with regard to the fence setback issue, given the uh, confusion regarding the approval of the pool permit, we feel that the proposed setback of 10 feet from the property is appropriate and fair compromise for all parties involved. And um, the entry feature, the approval of the CUP for the entry feature does not set a new precedent and has already been done with the uh, Boulder subdivision. Uh, we have uh, Brian Nelson here um, representing the uh, Boulder's HOA board. 
and he, he will address um, he will address the board. We also have Jim Bunce, who is the neighbor directly across Moss Lane from um, the Says, who would uh, like to you know um, extend his support for what we're proposing. He's he's a gentleman that has to look at this every day. Um, so anyway, we thank the commission uh, for their attention to this matter and respectfully request you approve the, re the recommendation as proposed by staff and um, we would like to be able to have the opportunity to respond to any issues that were not addressed in the staff report. Okay. Thank you, Nick. Is there questions of Nick at this time? Well, let me see the map I have here. Uh, excuse me. That, um, there was a question about the fence that uh, was adjacent to, uh, was it the open space J lot, JJ lot? Uh, Being a, it's a redwood fence too. Is that going yeah, to be that, that that is not uh, on the property. Lot JJ is is not is not part of this. It's adjacent, isn't it? It's adjacent, yes. Yeah, and there's a redwood fence between this property and the open space lot. Uh, no, not that I know of. I'm, I well, I haven't looked at that. Right. Uh, I understand. I understand your question. Now. Yes. yes. So is that going to be removed or is the split rail? Will that be removed? No, it's not on our property. The solid uh, redwood fence. The solid wood fence would be removed. Yes. In its entirety. Yes, in its entirety. Okay. Along the uh, along, I just want to make that clear. Along the the length of the property. And, and where it's adjacent to the open space lot, it'll be removed also. That's that fine. Well, yes. I have a question, if no one else does. Um, looking at your drawing, Nick, uh, you've said several times that the pool has to be fenced for state law, and it appears where you highlighted the yellow line for the six-foot fence does that on its own because it comes out, goes down the property line, and then comes back to the house. So it is an enclosed it is. pool area. So then... It would not necessarily mean that you'd have to have a fence along the street front because it's already enclosed. I don't know. Maybe EJ could better answer this. You understand what I'm getting at? That's where it's located. So they, they would have to move that back. They could still achieve, you know, protective fencing for the pool outside of that easement area. Okay, okay that's I shouldn't standard. say easement area, but that 25-foot area. That part's fine. All it does is move the, the yellow line further yeah. further inboard. That's correct. But this, the result's the same. You've created a, a isolated area for the pool to meet the state law requirements at, at that point so that the fence out on the street is no longer necessary to meet it meet the state law is that right yes and that and that would be removed I, I i guess one of the questions looking at this the one thing that's lacking on this is showing where the wrought iron fence would go yeah the the wrought iron yeah true the, the wrought iron fence would that because yeah i think that's what's sort of confusing yeah it, i i think the the blue line is 25 feet the property line i think if you draw just a little about halfway 
in between the yellow and the blue line, that that will be the answer. It would at halfway between the yellow and blue line would be uh, twelve and a half feet. Okay, it would just be. But didn't wasn't there a comment made that along Moss Lane on the I guess it would be the I'm looking for the north mark on this. Oh, the north is here. So it would be on the uh, southwest side. Isn't, isn't there going to be a steel tube fence proposed along there? Is that the, my misunderstanding? Yes. But not, but it, it, not to replace the uh, split rail fence, which is off the property. Lot JJ is not, not part of this property. No, I'm, I understand that, but well, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead? Maybe I'm confusing it. I somehow had the idea that along the, on your map, Okay. That's correct. And maybe just show where the fence fence is going to go. The oh, okay, but how? And it's going to go and then around the whole property. Yeah, up above here. What? Down to here, down to the uh, edge of the property. So right, right now on the site plan, they're showing. Does this? What's confusing is that the this is plan for the the pool shows a, a, a redwood fence, but what was installed was not the redwood fence. It shows that the pool, the redwood fence was installed all the way along the back property line except for where the split rail is, where the, um, where the wetlands is. That's true. That's true. That's, that's I think true. that's what you're trying to get to. This, this fence here showing here, highlighted in yellow, uh, shows a six-foot high fence, basically doing yeah. the protection of a pool area that's right. required by state law. But it, it re actually went from the lower corner all the way out to the edge of the property line, and and we're here to rectify that. And but, but are we are we going to have a, a split rail fence from? Is a, is a is a metal fence going to be where the yellow line is and just backed up a little bit and includes a pool, or is it going to go continue all the way down to lot JJ? Metal fence is going to go from from here up to there. Up to. Okay, so it's not just going to enclose the pool area, it's going to enclose the whole back of the lot up to the wetland area. Right. Okay, so it's different, it's a different, it's showing different on different plans, that's what's... Now this, I just, this was the purposes of the original plan. I know. Yeah. If, if I could, if I could jump in here just to clarify, and if you can, if you can see the laser pointer at the, the bottom of the lot. Yeah. So down here, that's open space lot JJ, so yeah. what they're proposing is uh, 10 feet from the property line edge along Moss Lane, this six-foot fence would come all the way up, and then they show it stopping short of the WPE, so it would stop right in this area. Right. The WPE line is right along here, because this is all the WPE. So it would stop here, and then it would come up, and then eventually turn into a, you know, a solid wood fence up there, I believe. There would be no split rail fencing. Right. Within that area, with exception, they would have to replace the split rail fencing around the wetland preservation easement. So this area would all be in split rail fencing. Well, the split rail fence there already on Moss, land, Moss uh, 
lane side. On the there, there is along the roadway right here. Right. But what they removed is a split rail fencing that goes well into the property, oh, the marking that around area. the whole area. That's all been removed, and that has not been replaced yet. Okay. So this back to lot JJ and maybe the adjoining owner next door in lot 10 it looks like. So this this uh, tubular steel is going to go all the way around the property. For this lot, lot 11, it would just go along this property line, and it would end right here. As they're showing it. So what what kind of fence is along uh, the JJ? So JJ is down south of the property. It's a split rail fence set back 25 feet, just like was originally approved with the the subdivision. The property to the north. They the the split rail as to my knowledge the split rail fence remains, but they built right next to it the, the same type of black wrought iron fence. Uh, you know, 25 feet from the property line. What they're asking for is they want to get or have that fence 15 feet closer to the roadway. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, guess I'm puzzling a little bit in terms of uh, the state requirements that the pool be fenced. How what we're talking about here really accomplishes that? It doesn't, actually. It doesn't have to? No, it doesn't. Well, yeah, yeah. Whatever they end up with, they're going to have an enclosed area, fenced area for the pool. Wherever, wherever this fence ends up, it will it will return back and you know fence up to the house so that area is area is protected. So I don't, I'm not so certain that the the issue is whether or not there's going to be protective fencing for the pool. They will have that either way. EJ, okay, I understand that. I just you know, I mean, one of the rationales for this is to. Uh, meet the rules for the pool and so you know if, if this exception you know if it's not clear that we're meeting the rules for the pool that's the only reason I'm asking let me try and clarify something with, with regard to the pool um, that's not the issue in front of this Planning Commission what's in front of this Planning Commission is whether you will um, determine the modification to the subdivision setback requirements is appropriate the pool fencing is dictated by state law but can be in fact it's it's required to be enclosed there are various ways that that can be complied with including alarm systems so I don't want you to start getting confused with the notion that suddenly you have to approve the setback in order to meet state law requirements for enclosing a pool okay um, you need to look at the setback issue and whether that's appropriate Okay, I think that answers my question. Thank you. Okay, any other questions of the applicant? Thank you. Question for EJ, if I could, I guess maybe. A, a six-foot wood fence in itself does not require a building permit, does it? That's correct. So, so the the so original the original pool, pool permit, excuse me, that was was signed off. The, the copy that uh, Mr. Alexander provided for you, which shows you the yellow fence. So that permit, that was a site plan submitted with the swimming pool permit. So I, I understand it, that. It, but it I, was only for the swimming pool, not for the fence. The fence wouldn't have been part of the permit review or the plan check scrutiny at That's all. Correct. Because it, it doesn't require a permit. That's correct. But it does require some permit to change the rule from what was approved in the original subdivision map. 
and that's what we're hearing. Yeah, for the type and, and distance, the fence would be set back from the Moss Lane frontage. Okay. Any other questions of staff at this time? If not, we'll move on to the public at large. If, there's, if there is someone that's representing a large group of people and they agree with that representation, it would save us some time if you would all at some point nod and wave and say, yeah, we, we no, support no clapping. His, <laughs> his statements and so we don't have to go through everyone saying the same thing. If we're their spokespersons, yeah. I would assume you have you have a professional attorney type. Yeah, Mr. Chairman, um, I'll be speaking for all the owners. They're not all getting up and speaking today, but there are a number that have some very particular points to address some of the presentation items, since many of them have lived there for 30 and 40 years, um, that they can add something to the discussion. You're not going to hear the same thing over okay. and over. I think there, there are, though, uh, several of the residents of Moss Oaks that are going to have some uh, discussion points will uh, help uh, hopefully the commission in your deliberate deliberations thank you mr chairman members of the commission marcus laduca 3200 douglas boulevard in roseville on behalf of nearly all the residents in the moss oak subdivision there's an old expression where you stand depends on where you sit here according to the staff report and the applicant the request before you is really no big deal just a minor request or resulting from an unfamiliar, unfamiliarity with the rules or a lack of sophistication or someone thought a mistake was made or who knows what or some combination of all these things. From the perspective of residents of the Moss Oaks neighborhood next door, the application before you goes to the very heart of this county's planning process. My letter to you last week seeks to summarize two and a half years of blatant and intentional disregard and violations of federal and state law county code and planning documents, conditions of approval from this very commission, recorded easements, CCNRs, and lastly, a judgment of the Placer County Superior Court. To summarize, over the past two and a half years, and despite repeated county notices of violation and commencement of code enforcement proceedings by the county, as Mr. Rivaldi noted in his presentation, the SAIs have essentially thumbed their noses at the county and at a range of federal and state and local regulations and laws including conditions of approval approved by this commission through the following actions. I'd like to highlight these if I could. Remove the permanent protective fencing along the rear lot line and a portion of lot JJ and around the recorded wetland preservation easement on their property in violation of conditions 28-0 and condition 60. Cut oak trees greater than six inches diameter breast height and oak tree limbs over six inches wide and wetland preservation easement in violation of the county tree ordinance. Three, constructed a solid fence on the property line, and my letter was mistaken. My uh, letter said 10 feet from the property line. It was actually constructed on the property line over 200 feet in length in violation of conditions 3 and 28V. Four, cleared vegetation and cut oak trees greater than 6 inches diameter breast height and oak tree limbs greater than 6 inches outside of their property on Moss Lane in violation of the county tree ordinance and the property rights of others. Five, sprayed herbicide on Moss Oaks subdivision property in violation of the rights of Moss Oaks residents. Six, utilized an illegal access route for trucks and construction workers onto Moss Lane over a recorded no access strip 
in violation of Condition 8I. And seven, constructed a solid fence along a portion of open space lot JJ in violation of Condition 69. These are just the violations, most of which are continuing to this day, of the conditions of approval for the Boulder subdivision map that this commission approved in 1999. Those conditions were the result of very detailed negotiations between the developer of the Boulder subdivision and residents of Moss Oaks. They weren't just came out of thin, uh, thin air or standard conditions. They were carefully crafted 15 years ago. Those restrictions, about, among others, were in place for 13 years prior to the SAE's repeated actions violating those restrictions. In light of the staff recommendation, those many and repeated violations apparently just don't matter. Now let's get to the violation of laws and codes by the SAE's. Besides their violations of conditions of approval and recorded CCNRs by their actions that I've just outlined and outlined in my letter, they have, by their illegal fill on the wetland preservation easement on their property, violated the Federal Clean Water Act regarding fill of wetlands, and violated recorded easements on the property. And to say that they didn't know, um, just had, or didn't have knowledge of that, um, we've all owned homes. I've owned several. Um, uh, first home I bought had a sewer easement on the edge of my property. I couldn't plant any structure, put any structures in there, and I also was restricted to the amount of trees that I could put in because there was a sewer line and certain, oak, uh, certain trees have invasive roots. So when you have a property, especially when you have an engineer out there surveying for various uh, items for construction, you know exactly what easements are on your property. It's our understanding that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was not willing to issue an after-the-fact permit, wetlands fill permit to the SAIS under Section 404 of the Federal Clean Water Act. So we have violations of federal law, violation of the Subdivision Map Act through blatant and intentional violation of a number of conditions of approval to the Boulders Map, um, and violations of the County Tree Ordinance. However, like those commercials on TV that we see all the time, I have to add, but wait, there's more. The Placer County District Attorney brought a civil action against the SAIS for their numerous violations of conditions of approval in the Boulder Subdivision Map and on August 2nd, 2013, a judgment was entered against the SAIS. My letter included that judgment, and I highlighted the key required corrective actions. I would particularly like to note the first action, submission of a revegetation plan to the county's development review committee that was required to be submitted within two weeks from the entry of judgment, or August 16th, 2013. True to their refusal to comply with laws, codes, conditions, and recorded restrictions, the SAIS did not submit a revegetation plan to the county until April of 2014 in violation of Judge Alan Paneshi's order by nearly eight months. So here we are. After two and a half years of violations of federal and state law, county ordinances, subdivision conditions, CCNRs, recorded easements, and a judgment of the Placer County Superior Court, the SAIS asked you to bless their actions or at least excuse them and basically say, no problem. If you agree with the SAIS, let's not kid ourselves. Let's not beat around the bush. You are setting a precedent that anyone in Placer County can point to in order to excuse their violations of laws, codes, restrictions, conditions, recorded documents, and even a court judgment. It's a precedent and a hole that you can drive a truck through. You might even have an issue with ever denying a similar future application anywhere in the county with similar violations if you approve the application before you. You have, to, you have to make findings. They can't be arbitrary and capricious. And again, someone can point to the, uh, your action here and say, well, they did it. Why not me? 
I'd even go so far to state that if you were to approve this application, there's really no point in having code enforcement in this county. That saves the county money, but will undermine the county's ability to enforce its codes and approvals by this commission and the Board of Supervisors. Finally, as a land use attorney who's been, entered his 29th year of practicing law in this state and has entitled roughly 300 projects, I have to say that this application goes to the very heart of the integrity of the county planning process. It's a process my clients and I and all other applicants before you have to follow if the planning process is to have any legitimacy for the public and applicants alike. If my client or any other builders or developers had committed even one or two of the violations uh, committed by the SAIs, I'd expect the arm of government to come down very hard and deservedly so. The principle that the SAIs illegal actions uh, expressed to you today is quite clear. Do whatever you want, plead ignorance or lack of sophistication or you just didn't read something and seek permission after the fact. We believe equal treatment before the law and due process for all requires the same standards for everyone, whether they be builder or developer or resident alike. Moreover, complying with the conditions of approval will not impose any hardships on the SAIs. The wall that's shown, there's a rock retaining wall and it looks like it continues around the pool. That's not even built yet. Um, as to the violations of the front yard setback, allowing the front wall to stand is again to reward the SAIs for the repeated, blatant, and intentional violations. We ask you to pull the condition, this commission's earlier approval and conditions of approval for the Boulder subdivision, uphold federal and state law, county code and planning documents, and the integrity of this county's planning process and deny the application in its entirety. Uh, again, I'd be happy to answer any questions. There are a few residents that want to speak to address particular items that have been raised in either documents that have been submitted to you, the staff report, or the presentation today. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Marcus. Anyone have questions for him? I just have one question. One question. You brought up uh, something, Marcus, that you said that part of the 12-foot, or not 12, excuse me, the 6-foot wooden fence is built onto property JJ? It, yeah, it goes around. There's a piece of it that goes not onto JJ. It's on the edge. You have to have a, oh, on the uh, edge. as, on as, the as edge. you said, okay. you have to have a, uh, it's got to be 25-foot back. It's got to be open fencing. Okay. It's okay, right on the property line then. Okay. Correct. Any other questions? Okay. Thanks, Marcus. Anyone else care to comment then? Please come forward and give us your name and. Yes, my name is uh, David Stringham. My wife and I purchased a lot on Moss Lane in 1978 and built a house in 84 and 85, lived there ever since. Hope to live there for a lot longer. Um, after hearing our attorney, which I hadn't heard all of what he was going to say, there really isn't a lot more to say that I have. It's just, yes, I went through that 1999. It was a longer process than that to approve the boulders, subdivision, lots. Uh, there was a lot to it. Uh, they wanted to build a solid fence like they have around Los Lagos, concrete. Um, but the developers were reasonable. Uh, they wanted access for lot number one to come off of Moss Lane rather than Auburn Falls. So I think the county wanted that too. And so we were able to, you know, work out an agreement that was suitable for everyone. Put a low split rail fence back 25 feet from the property line that would look natural. You wouldn't even know it's there. They even went so far as to put holes in rocks so they could embed it in that line, not go around it. And since that time, everyone has lived with that regulation, and Moss Lane looks natural. Uh, 
to change it to allow someone to have a variance, to gain a variance, because they want more land, or whatever reason it is, just doesn't seem to make any sense. There doesn't seem to be any compelling reason why the county should allow them to make a change. I'd like to just, because we don't want, everybody's not going to speak, we don't need to do that, just everyone stand that's in support of it from Moss Lane so you know how many residents are involved here, and how many people are behind this, even after two and a half years of all this going on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else? Please come forward. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Nelson. I'm Kelvin Cindy, Dr. Kelvin Cindy's next door neighbor. I'm also a, a board member of the uh, Boulders HOA. Um, <clears throat> sitting back there trying to figure out if I still know my neighbors after hearing all these things about them. Um, I, as a next door neighbor, have, it was a disaster when they purchased the house. The house was in foreclosure. Um, the yard was a fire hazard. I constantly, as a board member, uh, threatened the bank that owned the property. And um, I had friends from uh, Cal Fire come over. The trees were just, uh, I don't think any of those things were over six inches. I mean, it was, it was just a massive fire hazard. Uh, we had, we constantly uh, called Placer Sheriff. We had, uh, there's people breaking in the house. I could see them smoking cigarettes. Uh, the officers went in with their guns drawn. The property was just, uh, we had people on Moss Lane coming through the property and partying in the house before the redwood fence was up. I have uh, twins that are uh, one years old and a four-year-old. And I was actually scared uh, for our safety. The minute that fence went up, uh, the wildlife went away. We had no more foxes, uh, mountain lions outside our back door. Uh, we had six and a half to seven foot rattlesnakes. And uh, it was just, it, it, it was very concerning. And so since they've moved in, all that's gone away. They've done a terrific job as a board member. Um, Kelvin has been, I think, at the majority of the, uh, the board meetings. He's been very forthright uh, about what his intentions were, clearly defining what he would like to do, and the board approved his actions. So um, in listening to this, I'm just still trying to uh, be calm here, but um, he's done. Uh, he's done a terrific job, and again, he has the board approval for all the things he's done. That's all I have to say. Any questions? I have one question. Sure. Are you, do you do you live the adjacent? Do you have that that wrought iron fence on the on the on the back of the property on Mossland? Is that the? Are you that? No, I live next door. On, uh, on the other side. Maybe we can just switch. Keep going. Yeah, right, right next door with the pool, right, right up here. Right yeah. here. Okay, you live on this side. You don't live on with the back. Your your that, property doesn't back up to Moss, then. That's correct. Okay, thank you. Okay, another with, question. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, I I guess there's there's I'm I'm hearing two deals. There's two complete separate subdivisions, right? Absolutely. Okay, and so with that cul-de-sac is the only one from the boulders that that touches Moss Lane? That is correct. Well, 
There's a property up here too, right? The the next one up, right, right there. there. Correct. Yes. One, so if I may. So uh, there there might be actually. Uh, There's one residence in the north, the, the Say's residence. This is a open, large open space lot, oh. part of the subdivision, oh. of the Boulder subdivision. And then this lot is also in the Boulder subdivision, but it has access off of Moss Lane. Oh, okay, because when I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing Moss's residence and then Boulder's residence. Correct. And I think, I guess in my mind, the Boulder residents doesn't have any problem with the front part, so that not, that's what, not whatsoever. That's been clearly, by your board, correct everything. The county's approved it, so it's yeah. dealing with the moss. Now, all the other houses on the moss lane side, and I probably should have asked Marcus this earlier. The orientation of the houses are always to towards moss lane. Yeah, when you know, I mean, when I've driven through. So, in other words. Moss Lane's backyards aren't facing Moss Lane. The front of the houses are. Mm -hmm. So their backyards are in, in the backside. Mm -hmm. and, and looking at this whole issue, I sort of see a, you know, a problem that everybody would get to. You, you have your backyard, and then all of a sudden you have those setbacks if you have a pool and you have to secure it and stuff. And if you're the neighbor across the way or living down the street or to the sides, and then the front of your house is facing the street and your backyard, you know, you've got your big backyard and stuff. And so I, you know, I understand the conflict here. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of clarify that with, you know. Okay. Okay. I, I have a question. Public. Sure. Yeah, uh, going around to the front of the house. On the cul-de-sac, uh, at least it appeared to me that uh, almost every residence there had a, what do you call them, a pilaster or a pilaster? Sure. It uh, was six feet tall. Let's, let's keep And going. so uh, basically, uh, I guess those have all been approved by the Homeowners Association. That is. And uh, so, which is counter to what the uh, county's policy is within the easements. And so I guess what we're asking for here is a subdivision modification that brings everybody into conformance. That's not correct. No, it's just the, not exactly. So the other lots are, would be out of conformance then still. That's that correct. Pilasters are That's six feet tall. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would be making a assumption at this point without right. looking at loss, but I would say yes. Okay, I guess, I guess this is the difficulty is for this lot, uh, they, they're asking approval for the pilasters, but the other lots uh, have them and they're not. That's correct, yeah. And uh, we're talking about a six-foot fence. Uh, I guess I'll need to ask later, but it looks like it's maybe four foot or three and a half feet. That, that's correct. I would say probably. So it's just the pilasters we're talking about. Probably, probably a little over four feet. Right, four and a half at the most. And the, and the easements, uh, there needs to be some work, but apparently the homeowners association have already agreed to give up their portion of the easement, which all the looks like all the front entrances on that uh, probably violate that easement. Um, again, without looking at the bylaws, I'd be making assumption, but I mean, it, it makes sense. Okay. 
Thank you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if I could, if I could just clarify, Chairman, uh, the, the request before you today for the subdivision map conditional use permit modification, uh, although it will modify the con would modify the conditions, it is specific to lot 11, the one we're looking at. So the other ones would stay non-conforming. That's correct. Okay. Is, has the county ever gone to the homeowners group and explained that they're approved, they're making approvals of things that are inconsistent with the county ordinance? No, we have not contacted the homeowners ex ex except when this application came in. We, we could not accept the application unless the homeowners association actually signed the application themselves to allow this. Okay. So, so by way of that, they, they would be aware of Okay. Uh, you know what's located in the, you know in the in the private road easement and utility easements. Ken, you had a question. Yeah, um, EJ, on 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 that. I mean, the issue of the front came up because of the issue of the back. I mean, that's what precipitated. That's correct. The whole the whole thing where, when code enforcement went out, I mean, they went through everything <clears throat> fine tooth comb. That's correct, and and you know when we when we go out and in the process of trying to correct a violation doing whether it's a subdivision modification or a variance uh if we notice something like this that is also out of code uh, we try to correct that as well yeah. okay. okay thank you thank you anyone else care to come up Good morning, my name is James Thomas and my wife and I have been residents on Moss Lane for 20 years. Uh, I've got a few points here so I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, I would like to address and clarify several statements that were made in the staff recommendations and this hearing. On page four, paragraph three, I quote, the applicant's proposal to locate a six-foot-high black tube metal fence 10 foot from the property line of Moss Lane would not be out of character for the area, given that there are several lots with different fencing at various setbacks, close quote. One of the most important issues with this statement, or this statement does not take into account, is that approximately 80 feet of the open rail fencing will expose an area which is currently used as a gravel-covered storage lot for a boat, trailer, and various debris. It is obviously permanent and encompasses a very large area that will be very visually impactful and makes it especially crucial that the current 25-foot setback be maintained. And you can probably see that area there. Referring again to the county's statement, in actuality, the only fencing setback along the Moss Lane boulders boundary that has been violated is that of the Says. Lot one at the entrance of Moss Lane differs. but was part of the original agreement made between the Moss Oaks residents and the developer of the boulders. It was agreed that Lot 1 would enjoy entry onto Moss Lane as opposed to Auburn Folsom Road for safety purposes. This entry was limited to, Mo to Lot 1 only. 
as part of the negotiation for the remainder of, the Moss, of Moss Lane to have the permanent split rail fence along Moss Lane placed at the 25-foot setback. And it was endorsed and recorded by the county. Although Lot 12 has replaced the split rail fence, or not replaced, but has the open rail fence behind the split rail at the required setback, the Moss Oaks residents did not dispute the placement of the fence in favor of good neighbor relations and because it was placed at the required 25-foot setback. The county's assertion is also somewhat misleading and incomplete as it does not take into account that other than Lot 1, the remainder of the fencing along the Moss Lane boulders boundary is all located at the 25-foot setback. The fencing on two parcels on the other side of the road at the entrance to Moss Lane was modified months after the Sayes built their fence. We are aware that at least one of the properties at the entrance of Moss Lane opposite Lot 1 were paying close attention to what was going on at the Say property and seeing no discernible response by the county likely proceeded in kind. After speaking with the contractor at 5860 Moss Lane, we were informed that the fencing was placed close to the road only temporarily for construction purposes and would be removed or placed back in its correct position very soon. The fencing issue at 8300 Moss Court at the entrance of Moss Lane is being dealt with in a separate code enforcement action and has already been ruled against by the commission. The fencing on the Moss Oaks homeowner side of the road cannot be used for comparison. The majority of the fencing along the side of the road is in character with a rural country feel. The majority of the fencing is either wire or corral style fencing, low line, and located at the front entrance to homes and complies with requirements of the Moss Oaks community. The county also asserts in paragraph two, page four, I quote, the area within the 25 foot fencing setback is heavily vegetated with oak trees and other native vegetation. Relocating the open style fence 15, closer, 15 feet closer to Moss Lane should not impact the visual character of the area, close quote. What this paragraph fails to mention is that although the property bordering both ends of the say property along Moss Lane <coughs> are in fact heavily vegetated with oak trees and other native vegetation, the property along Moss Lane directly behind the say property is precisely where the vegetation has been removed with only limbed up oak trees remaining. We respectfully request that the commission uphold the 25 foot setback and protect the beauty of Moss Lane. And I'd just like to point out that the plot map is a little bit inaccurate and misleading. And if you look at the uh, pictures of the original split rail fence in relation to where the pool sits, that split rail fence is where the uh, new open rail fence should go at the 25 foot setback and leaves plenty of room between the fence and the pool. Uh, I 
think that's it. So thank you for your consideration. Can I ask you a question? On, sure. Because I was going to ask it of staff later on, but since you brought up the sp split rail fence, the split rail fence at the uh, wetlands area. Right. It's there that goes up and abuts up against the, the taller wooden fence. Is that set back at 25 feet? Yes. And it's lined up with the other property to this to the north where that person where the open rail fence they put a the open wire open anyway wrought iron type fence right against the the split rail fence yeah and those yeah. all those all line up because i went out there a couple of times so i just want to make sure that, that fence was 25 feet because it's hard to tell from the edge of the right road and what have you yeah the barbed wire fence is actually where the property line is right the split rail sets 25 feet 25 feet that. okay thank you Commissioner Rokichi, there's a photo of just what you're talking about right now. That's a split rail fence, 25 feet. And you can see the barbed wire fence in the foreground. There. Right, right. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. And then could you pull up that pool picture, the one that shows the setback between the split rail and the swimming pool? Bear with me. Uh, this photo up there. Better one than that, but you can kind of see that it's it's quite a distance. So moving the fence back to its original 25-foot location would not create a problem. The pool was built before the split rail was even taken out, and we have notified the SAIs and the HOA since the very beginning of this construction. It wasn't new to them. Multiple neighbors have contacted them and talked with them to no avail. So this is not something they didn't know about. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyone else, briefly? Hi, my name is Beth Post. I moved to 5290 Moss Lane in February. Actually, we closed escrow in February 2013. When we came to see the property in January of 2013, it had been after a three and a half year search for the right property for my family my daughter, my husband, and I, to move up out of the flat, dry, brown Davis area into the beautiful hills up here. We've been steered away from Placer County because of the I-80 corridor costs and because of the incre incredible development that had been happening during the times in the 90s, 2000, 2010, and had looked for a long, long time in El Dorado. When I drove up Moss Lane in January, Martin Luther King Day of 2013, I had found where I had been looking for for three and a half years many, many homes. It was the drive up that was half of the bargain. That was a month before the um, gate, the, the large wooden fence went in. Imagine my surprise the day we closed escrow and drove back up and there was this big fence. Okay, it's going away, but there's gonna be an open fence put in in exactly the same area where that wooden fence is. There's a recommendation, or at least it's gonna be just, just about as close. There's a recommendation that it won't change the character, but it will for me. I moved up because I want to ride my horse. <clears throat> riding my horse with a 25-foot setback is a whole different thing than riding my horse with a 10-foot setback, especially if there are going to be animals charging that fence line. That's going to be dangerous for me and my daughter to ride our horses. So I would like you to consider the 25-foot setback, not only because we don't want to change precedent, we don't want to provide precedent, we want to honor the um, recommendations that were made 20, you know, for the 25-foot setback, but also because this directly impacts me as a resident. And it's also 
Um, somebody mentioned that, gee, the, the gentleman who wrote this letter, this one, that is opposite on Moss Lane, that's opposite the fence line, that, hey, he's the one that has to look at it every day. We all have to look at it every day. We all, every day. I can't get out onto Auburn Folsom without driving past that. And I certainly can't ride my horse along Moss Lane without being um, threatened by a 10-foot fence that a dog can charge, without having less room to get off of the road if a car comes by. And that's why I moved up there. So I'd like you to consider that. Let me see if I can make just a quick comment. You were talking about uh, riding a horse within the 25-foot setback. On the road. I'm riding on the, on road. the road. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not crossing property. I mean, the only reason I would have to step into the 10-foot setback would be, you know, to, uh, if a car comes. And if a car comes, what I, what I currently have now for my horse's sake is a visual space that my horse can safely move into. Um, if the fence is right there, that can be, become problematic, um, especially if it's a fence with animals charging. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. I guess you have a question. One, yeah, one, one question. The, the wood fence is currently at the property line? Yes, there's yes. a bob yeah. fence. So, That's so correct. There, so there's probably, what, 20, 20 foot setback from, from the roadway Not quite. to begin with? 10 or 15. 10 or 15. Okay, is there anyone else that would care to comment? Hello, good morning. My name is Jim Bunsley, and I'm uh, one of the Moss Oaks residents. I'm the uh, gentleman that she just referred to. I live right across the street from the Sayas, and I've been there during the time that they constructed that house, or the house was being constructed, and before. And the lot was overgrown. It was uh, ugly. It was a constant uh, uh, burden to look at from my point of view, and I see it every day. Both my front door faces kind of moss lane and my back door comes up. We have about 200, 250 feet of uh, adjoining property line. Um, I can, when I look at what they've done, it, it's just an improvement. In fact, I personally would rather have the wood fence because I don't want to look into their backyard and see their kids swimming. I think that's a privacy that they are due, and it's not something I want to impose upon but I'm in support of the recommendation to put the open rail fence the open metal fence there at the 10-foot line I don't see how this will impact anything or anybody going down Moss Lane the lady talks about riding her horses if you look go down Moss Lane you look at every fence on Moss Lane on our side they're right on the road and if you look at our CCNRs there's a 50-foot setback there's not a single property that abides by that 50-foot setback in our CCNRs. My fence is right on the line, right on the road. That's where it was when I bought it. Owan's right next to me, same thing, all the way around. So you're talking about a dog charging. If my dog charges the fence, it's going to be a whole lot worse than theirs, which is going to be roughly 25 feet off the edge of the road at this time. But I don't have any objection to the, the fence. I think it's been a definite improvement to the community, uh, and I support their, their uh, application. Thank you, Jim. Anyone else? Good afternoon. My name is Chantal Decaval. I live on Moss Lane. 
a bit further down the road. Um, I am opposed to uh, this change because when I moved in 19, in 1999 and uh, I was, like Beth, very taken by the Mosleyne and this is where I wanted to live. And when I learned that the parcel of land between Moss Lane and Auburn Folsom Road belonged to the Los Lagos development, I went to the Planning Commission and I asked them what was the plan for the fencing between those two developments. Was there going to be ever a wall-like fencing like Los Lagos has along Auburn Folsom Road? And I was assured that no, in no way. There was wooden split rail fencing that was to be permanent and set at a 25 feet setback. 13 years later, somebody moves in and decides to put his fence not only uh, uh, outside these 25 setbacks, but put a, a wall-style fencing. So this wall is going to go away finally after two and a half years looking at it, but putting uh, open rail fencing, which is a lesser evil, but putting it at a 10 foot setback is going to change the character of Moss Lane. I'm sure you have realized from listening to um, parties on both sides that there are two different people living in this area. We choose to live on Moss Lane because we wanted the open country feeling, because we are not afraid of rattlesnakes, and we don't need to be surrounded by walls to feel safe. There are other places you can live to feel that way. There are a lot of gated communities around, and, and you can build your fence and your wall around you. Mosland is not like that. The fencing of Mosland has nothing to do with beyond the Moss Oak residents and between the Moss Oak residents and people in the borders because it is basically a boundary between two different types of developments. And we need this buffer zone. This 25 feet of nature, as much nature has been left there, we need it as a buffer between the way we want to live and the way these people want to live. We need this space, so we have a feeling that we get into Moss Lane, we are still in the open country. If you let them use this 15 feet, 15 feet by 200 feet of real estate, you are ready to give them away just because they want it. You know what's going to happen. You have seen their property from the sky. Most of it is either landscaped or built. You can go on most land, you can look at all properties, and that's true. Some fences are not within the 25 or 50 foot setback. But I have a tractor, I have two tractors. One I put inside my garage, the one is outside. I have a big pile of wood, I have some equipment, some pipes left over. There's nothing visible from Moss Lane. There is nothing within hundreds of feet from my, my border, the property, my property line. There's nothing you can see. If you let them use this corridor, this 15 by 200 or more feet corridor, you are going to bring the Los Lagos development right into our face. It's going to be right there. That's what they're going to use as a backyard to store their you know, leftovers from their building or their, their, their trailers and all the things. It's going to be right in our face. And I walk that street pretty much every day and pretty much every day I look at it and we are not happy about having, you know, of course it's changed the feeling of the whole street to have these big houses and and to have an open rail fence, sometimes we think, okay, well, there was a wooden fence. At least we don't see the mess. And now we are going to see it, but you know, I don't want the mess 10 feet from the street. I want it 25 feet. This is our front yard, that's our backyard. It's a very different issue. Thank you. Okay, thank you.
Anyone else? I guess everything's about been said. My name is Ivan Holt. I live at 5465 Moss Lane, and I've lived there since 1980. I'd just like to point out to you that that when it was negotiated, the 25-foot setback, it was to maintain our environment on Moss Lane. And the present people on Lot 11, they've moved in on us, and they haven't followed any rules, and they need to. I would admonish you to stick to the original thing that was negotiated, 25-foot setback, and let's, that's the fairest thing. Give it in to them. What, what keeps the Lot 12 guy from coming along saying to the county, I'd like to move, move my, lot, my fence out 15 feet. Well, that's a big chunk of ground. And it's already been pointed out, the, well, you can see the fence there, but they got a lot of junk along that fence. And uh, we need to keep them off Moss Lane as much as we can to provide, uh, preserve our environment as well. And thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else? Julie Stringham, my husband David spoke. Um, and this is, this is for you, Jeffrey, because um, yes, we have been there for 30 years and uh, we had the privilege of knowing and loving your father and he is at the base of this because his love of Moss Lane and the rural experience that we all have is um, how we got here. And we are thankful every day as we drive Moss Lane, especially on the Moss side where we don't see this fence, that your father loved this area so much. There was so much of it that um, goes back to him. And yes, we still miss him. So thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. Hi, my name is Kurt Hamburg. Um, I've lived on Moss Lane also for about 20 years. I had really no intention of talking here today, but um, in listening to the, the Council for the Seas, it, I've been involved in this passively for the last two and a half years, and um, it seems it's just been a series of double talk, and oh, we didn't know about the wetlands, we didn't know about the fence, we didn't know we were supposed to do this, we didn't know we were supposed to do that. And, and when I look at these pictures, I don't know how you could not see the picture on the left where you can see the fence that's in place already and, and at where it's supposed to be and claim ignorance by moving a brand new fence. I don't know how you can continue to avoid the wetlands issues, et cetera, et cetera. Then I was also listening. I was like, uh-oh, I can't believe that the council made a mistake and we have this swimming pool that got put in. But that was just another series of double talk because the fence that they installed 25, 25 feet out had nothing to do with the swimming pool, just another effort to confuse the issues. And the real issue is that they moved into the house. Granted, they've improved the house. Granted that they got rid of the weeds that were growing up there. But I don't think that we should reward them for 
not following what they knew to be true in the beginning, and then all of a sudden turn around and say, here you go, you've got 200 feet more uh, property line, and we're going to extend the fence back just because you want to, and I think it's clear that that will establish a precedence, and I think it would be a really, uh, really bad move. And I think rewarding them for, for their actions is, would just be a mistake. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. I'm Dale Winchester. Uh, I live on Moss Lane, and my wife and I uh, moved in there and built uh, about 40 years ago. And so, uh, like many have spoke, uh, growing up in the country, my wife and I looked for over a year to find a place that had the rural setting, and, uh, and it was a dirt road then. So we, uh, we go in and look. And my wife says, this is, this is where we need to be. This is it. We met uh, Henry Moss. We walked a lot of the property. And his vision and, and what he wanted to do and what he's seen fit exactly what Penny and I wanted and what we've seen. And now, it, in the last two and a half years, has dramatically changed. And so the phone calls and meetings and get-togethers of the Moss Lane homeowners and their heart for the, the uh, area and what was getting changed. So some of us made calls to the Homeowners Association. We, uh, well, it's out of our hands, you know, we have not given them the okay uh, to do what they're doing. I mean, they got goats down there eating everything up. They're in there on, right along Moss Lane cutting limbs and trees. I mean, just right along the road, just opening it up. And, uh, and I mentioned to the guy with the goats and the workers, I said, you guys can't be doing this. The, the, is uh, the owner home? I mean, you get, you let them know this can't be doing this. Uh, and I just don't, I don't get it. You're, you're way over the line. And so uh, uh, I talked to John Adair. I got a hold of the, uh, the association that was handling it, and John Adair, and, the, and then it was uh, Anthony, they called Tony, talked to, to them way back, way back early, and uh, voiced my opinion and talked to them, and uh, said, well, it's really out of our hands. It's really to the county. So then we start bringing it to the county in that. Uh, but uh, it is, again, uh, the agreement that we went in on back in 99 was very clear and we worked through that and it was done. It was agreed and it was permanent, the two-foot permanent fence. That's what it was to be. And these folks went in and just went amok and they were well aware of, of that and change and the things they're doing and just asking that we uphold what we agreed on and was approved that uh, we stick with that. And it has, again, dramatically changed. Moss Lane, and it needs to be reversed and get restored. And it's going to take years for that to get back to a, a natural setting that we all enjoyed for so many years. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Seeing no one else coming forward, uh, we'll close the public comment period and bring it back to the commission for questions, answers, comments, motions. Yeah, I guess one question is uh, 
25 feet is kind of a no do anything zone. And so uh, once I get beyond the 25 feet, uh, what can they do? You know, like could they build a wood fence at 26 feet from the property line? Or what, what would be permissible there? So, so the conditions are, are fairly specific about structural setbacks along Moss Lane and, and no structures can be constructed any closer than 30 feet. So 30 feet, within that 30 foot area, you cannot build a structure. A fence, a six foot fence, six foot or under, is not considered a structure. Uh, but the, the condition also says no solid fencing within that area as well. So that's why they're proposing the wrought iron or open fencing. So, so could, they, could they utilize that area? They, they could utilize that area, they can landscape it. Uh, you know, anything short of building a structure there, they would be able to do. Okay, so the, the tubular fence that we're talking about, if it's on the 25 foot, that wouldn't be considered a structure? That's correct. Okay. A six foot wood fence would be out though because it's specifically excluded. Right, condition says no solid fencing along Moss. So they could go back 30 feet and put in a wood fence if they wanted right. without a permit of any kind, okay. Okay, any other comments? Mr. Chairman? I'm, um, yes. I, just for, for the record, I have met with, with the applicant's uh, representative. I've also met with Mr. LaDuca. I've also met on site with some of the residents of Moss Lane um, and walked the area with them. So I wanted to disclose that. Wanted to also, I guess, kind of maybe try to break this up and simplify it in, in some ways, in my mind anyway, barring the other commissioners having issues with it. I don't hear any real objection or, or opposition to what's going on in the in the front of the subdivision with the the driveway features and what have you um, what I really hear the the big issue is 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 the type of the fence that's there and the location of the fence what I'm hearing as I talk with some of the re residents is that really if they go to a the wrought iron with a solid cap rail and not pickets, that there's not a huge opposition to that if it's in the right location. So really what it boils down to in my mind here today, regardless of, of everything else that's on the plate, the, the contested issue here is the location of that fence. And the, and the, and the, construct, and the type of construction? Well, the wood well, fence it's, we've, we've it's seen gone. it is going, so the, the type of construction is, is the wrought iron, and, right. and it, I mean, that exists up and down in other locations. So, so my, my interpretation, and I, I hope I'm not wrong, but my interpretation from what I understand is that if that goes to that wrought iron fence, that that could be lived with if it was installed at the proper setback. I think you're right on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um yeah, I I I'm I'm I have a tendency to agree with, with you. Um Scared not only a tendency, <laughs> but I, I I am agreeing with you. But I'd like to also make a disclosure. I did meet with both uh Nick Alexander and Mr. LaDuke on separate occasions and I went to I didn't know where Moss Moss Lane was at all. In fact I couldn't find it at first. I live in Roseville. <laughs> How would I find it? But I did find it. I, I went out twice and the other day Second time I 
parked my little truck along there a couple of places, put on my blinkers, and I don't know if any of you saw me. I thought somebody, I thought the police were going to call because I went up to a couple of the back fences over there and took a bunch of pictures with my cell phone and stuff. But I, when I first saw this, um, it, it, this whole process to me is troubling on a, on a, on a lot of issues, uh, a lot of levels, and I think a lot of it is, has to do with, with code enforcement. You know, we've been not critical, but concerned that we don't have enough code enforcement here, and rightly so, because we don't have the uh, personnel. So here we have a code enforcement issue, in which the staff has followed up on for over several years, had to go to court, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think we finally got down to a couple of issues, uh, besides the one he mentioned, and I think the wetland now issue is being resolved, if they do what they're supposed to be doing. I have a kind of an issue in the front with the with the utility easement part of it, um, but if I guess if it goes through the proper channels with the county and stuff, I know just from my own experience when I was on the city council in Roseville, um, a pool manufacturer decided to put a part of the pool inside the not the decking but part of the pool in a five foot easement in the back of a property. And thank God we found out before it was gunited, but we made him move it. The, the rebar, so I'm kind of sensitive because utility easements are there for a reason. They're for the utilities. But again, if the utility companies can sign off that it's, you know, sometimes utility easements are put in and then they're not even used, um, I, can, I can handle that. But I believe the wooden fence on the back of the property and everything that's gone along, along that is, um, is critical, as Jeffrey pointed out. And uh, because there is, has been a precedence of the adjacent property owner there with with the uh, right iron type fencing at the 25 foot setback in front of their split rail fence. I think it's, um, that's, I really think that's the appropriate place for it to be. Um, it, 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 the, all the other things were violations in, in their own right, but that one there I think needs to stay where it was originally worked out with the um, property owners during the 1999 negotiations. And I, I didn't know what the property looked like before the present property owner bought that property, but I, I do admire people cleaning up their property and taking care of it and making it better, obviously. But I don't think it's a necessarily complete carte blanche to, to, um, to just do anything you want, especially if there's um, these agreements that have been in place for a little while. So. I agree with you, Jeffrey, on, on that. I can handle the front one, I, and, and I'm in agreement with you on the 25-foot setback with the right iron, if that's what the other commissioners would like. Okay, thank you. Is there anyone else? Are you prepared, are you prepared to make a motion? Is that well, what you, there's someone? I was, I was gonna ask the T's or Nick, if you're talking for them, on the pool part, I mean, at the 25-foot setback, is there, does it cross over pool equipment or, you know, what? Yes. Yes, it will. Some pool equipment would have to be moved. Is, is there a shorter distance than the full length of the property that that fence might make a jog that would make pool sure, that, functional you know, without that, running the full length and without doing everything? I think that that could be reasonably done. Yeah, to, in other words, we can, cause that, if, just that, to give a little, uh, perhaps, I'm just, 
because this is what I. desire of the commission. EJ, do you think that's something that staff can uh, build into the permit authorization that, that the fence be allowed to somewhat meander in order to just accomplish taking care of this? Well, just that point. Yeah, I'm not. Just, just to point out this, uh, and if I can get this laser pointer. So this, if you can see the laser pointer up there, this yeah. wall. To my knowledge, this is not constructed right now. That's, that does not exist. Yeah. So, so you just. And I'm not. And I'm not certain where the the pool equipment is. Maybe Mr. Alexander can point out the pool equipment. Or what? Or what feature? I'm not. I'm not positive what feature is in this area right now. Well, couldn't the condition be worded to say that it just minim that it intrudes the, the minimum amount into the wetland? Right. with that assumption and the simple fact that considering all the past experience with this kind of thing for exceptions that they've made, if we make a hard and fast rule, if we decide it doesn't meander, go straight just the way we uphold, it's there. We're not making an exception for any part of the, of the uh, property or the pool. Just so you know where I stand on it. Okay. Hey, you know, I have the small map that we were looking at shows uh, a real close but when you look at the big map, not close. It's you know it's not clear that this 25-foot uh, setback would impact any part of the pool. Correct. On the big map, if you draw the line across from. Uh, yeah, well, the big map's a lot more accurate. Well, well, the well, there. well that's why. Then the swimming pool. That's why I keep asking the question on the small map. The big map is, is better, but the small map up there where the split rail fence is showing coming down to the at the wetland area, then it shows the dotted line, which is back further than, the, than where supposedly the split rail fence is. That's why I keep asking if that split rail fence is up there, a little higher, a little higher, right? The existing, up a little higher, up a little higher, the one on the, on the there. That one there in front of the, the wetland, if that's at 25. Because then you come down and the, the other line that shows that dotted line there shows the setback, or is that the 30-foot setback? What's that? What's that say down there? Oh, that's 30-foot. That's where I was getting confused. I doubt. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I thought that was a 25-foot setback. That's where I was getting confused on that one. Okay. So if I if I could point out, this photo right here shows the split rail fencing, and then it shows if, if you can see the white, and I have a I have a, I guess, a blow up in front of me, but all these white pipes here, here's part of your pool equipment that's right against the, the concrete wall, you know, retaining wall, that's part of the pool. So all that is located behind this 25 foot fence. So it's not an issue then? I, I don't see it as an issue, if, unless an applicant knows something that I don't. But what I'm showing here, and, and the blow up even it appears to be, you know, many feet behind that that uh, existing split rail fence. Well, then let's don't make it an issue if we can avoid it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, yeah, we've already heard that uh, structures need to be beyond the 30-foot line, too. 
So, you know, we'd be talking about another infringement, I think, if, uh, if the pool well, is built within the 30 foot infringement. I, I, guess, I guess my point wasn't a huge section, but if there was a 10 foot section or something that needed to come in a couple of feet in order to avoid moving expensive equipment, I don't know that that is huge. If it starts getting to be long section that wants to come in, I think that changes things. What do you, uh, what do you consider expensive? Just like jogging equipment. around a tree or a rock or something. Jeffrey, what do you ex what do you consider expensive equipment? Some guys, you know, three foot pavement around the pool or what? It's all expensive anymore. But yeah, I, I like I mean, to say I, I, I don't know the details. I'm just saying if it were needed to accommodate what's in existence to deal with a a, a minimal section and a minimal intrusion. It doesn't um, like I think there's too much subjective a big decision to show that it needs that. That I, I wouldn't wouldn't have a lot of heartbreak in that, but it would have to be minimal, minimal. I, I think it's a moot point. I don't think anything yeah. expensive has to be moved. It's not even hitting the, the AC. Picture of the of the split rail, 25 feet, and you can see how far back the equipment is. It's what quite is, a ways back. What is that distance? I don't know, but it's it's more than five. It's more than five feet. If you're worried about the 30 foot, but it's well behind the 25 feet. This this is an issue that it really has no bearing to what the facts are. It's the pool on the other side. But the question was the pool, yeah question was the pool pool equipment had to be moved. If, if the commission would look at the, um, you have in your packet on page six, the most recent site plan. Yeah, right. And there is a 30-foot setback line. It's a dashed line near where this proposed whatever rock wall this is. The pool is considered a structure. It must be, remain within the 30-foot setback. I think what you've seen and received uh, testimony that whatever pool equipment there might be is beyond the 25-foot setback. I don't recommend the commission try and suddenly um, Jog defense. draw another line that potentially can't be enforced, that is not within the setbacks that have already been established for the pool. Um, I recommend the commission either say yay or nay on this uh, and not start to deviate the line. I think that becomes untenable. Can I can staff a question? What's the 30 foot? That's the one I was confused with. What's BSBL? Is that where? What's the, what's that acronym stand for? Structural setback line, I believe. Special building structure. Yeah, this oh, is building the setback. Building. That's a building setback that, line. Yeah. Well, the apron of the pool, which it looks like, well, there actually is a wall there, but it. Anyway, okay, so there's no building going in there, so that's a 30-foot, but the 25-foot would, would actually miss everything according to that drawing. Okay. Where are we? Well, I make a motion that we deny the request. In its, your, it's yeah, entirety? the two pieces? No. We have a front both. Back. Deny both. My opinion is that it's an infringement on all the rest of the people who are following the rules. And they knew the rules when they went in. And by giving them tacit approval, we've already talked about setting precedent. And even on the front, same thing. These other people are wrong. If you make them right, they'll say, well, we're not wrong because they got it. I just don't, I think it's cheating the rest of the people, the citizens, out of what they passed 22 years ago or whatever it was. Is there a second to the motion? Okay. 
I'll have to. Chairman, I'll make a motion if I could, please. The motion died from lack of a second. Go ahead. Um, I recommend that we uh, approve the subdivision map conditional use permit modification to allow open fencing on lot 11 to be installed 25 feet from the westerly property line on Moss Lane and to allow the existing entry feature on lot 11 with six foot high walls to be located within the 35 foot setback and partially within the road and utility easement subject to the um, findings and recommendations attached on ENF. Okay, is there a second for that motion? I second it. Do we have a motion to second it? Uh, wait a minute, I confused somebody. Okay, so the request was, uh, what was being requested is to locate the fence uh, 10 feet from the property line. But that was not my motion. Your, your, your motion was to allow it at 25 feet. At 25 feet, what you would be doing is denying, denying the... Well, we, we're allowing them to install the, the open fence. Yeah, yes, so, so hear me out. So, so you would be denying the, the recommendation 10 feet from the property line. Uh, what would be allowed by right, which does not require a, a modification of the subdivision or conditional use permit, is the fence at the 25 feet. They, they, there's but, not any entitlement or map modification required for the 25 feet. So including you, the, the type of construction of fence? Well, you, we're, we're going from a, a, a rail fence to the metal fence? Yeah, to do an open fence 25 feet from the property line, they can requires go no, out there today requires, and build that fence without any requires no requirement. Approval. Okay. okay. So you're just approving the front. I guess that I make a motion that uh, that we deny the request um, for the for the, the westerly property line, but that we allow the existing entry feature uh, with the six foot high walls to be located within the 35 foot setback and partially within a private road and utility easement. Um, subject to the findings and recommendation conditions of approval and attachment ENF. And before you vote, um, I need to clarify that you also included the CEQA exemption. Absolutely. The the what? You didn't hear me say that? <laughs> okay, we have, who made the second? I did. Is that still? Still, still there. Okay. Any other questions or comments on the staff or the motions text? Seeing no one, uh, roll call, please. Mr. Gray? No. Mr. Nader is absent. Uh, Mr. Moss? Yes. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Ricucci? Yes. Mr. Denial? Yes. Mr. Sebison? Yes. Okay, the motion passes. There's an appeal period for those that, that choose to exercise it. Uh, it's 10 calendar days from today, and the fee is $546. I can see it. Paid. <laughs> it's in front of me, and it's not in front of you. <laughs> Paid to the planning department and just outside. We thank you all for your comments and hope that uh, this gets resolved as peacefully as possible. I do have a question for staff. I'm a little concerned that I thought I heard them say that on Moss Road that there was supposed to be a 50-foot setback or a 20-foot setback on the other side, and it was the whole street in violation. Good to see. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah.
Well, if the easement isn't required to send, sometimes you go in and ask for an abandonment. We're adjourned. We're saying. We're saying. Adjourned.